Welcome to the sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. This month, we are looking at a new series, Relationship. Throughout the Bible, relationship does not say, this is me, but rather it says, this is us. So what is God really telling us about relationships? Join us as we look at the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew and hear what Pastor Brian has to share about how God views relationships. And I pray that as you listen to this message, wherever you are in life, God will help guide you into a relationship with Him and with those around you. if you would, to go ahead and grab a copy of the Bible. Maybe you have it on your phone. You can do that. Uh, There's Bibles in the chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those. And in just a moment, we are going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And so you can go ahead if you want to and start to turn there. If you're not really sure where Matthew is, you go to the table of contents And there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. You'll notice Matthew is right at the top of that New Testament list. So you can find the page number and turn there, and then you find the big number six. That's what we'll be in just a moment. As Justin mentioned earlier, we take every November here at Mount Hope, and we spend time talking about our most important relationships. We think at least once a year, we ought to take time to talk about our most important relationships, and to ask ourselves, what does God say about those things? We're calling the sermon series this year, This Is Us. Uh, We didn't come up with that on our own, of course, but we just borrowed it for a little while here. We're calling it This Is Us, and we're going to talk about this truth, that in every situation in our lives where there is an us, or I would say a potential us, God should direct that relationship. Every place in our lives, you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, and if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm glad that you're here. You'll get a little window into how we view relationships, those of us who call ourselves Christians. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every time there's an us in your life, we believe, or a potential us in your life, you're looking to date somebody, starting a relationship, whenever there's an us in our lives or a potential us in our lives, God should be directing that relationship. That's the basis for all of these conversations. And over the next few weeks, today we're talking about marriage. Next week, we're talking about parenting. Then the third week, we're going to talk about life as a single person, life as someone who is dating and looking at potential relationships. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. And then the last Sunday in November, November 24th, that's the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about a topic that I bet hits home for every single person in the room. Because my guess is all of us have been in this place before. Maybe you're there today. What do you do as a follower of Jesus, someone who calls themselves a Christian, someone who believes God exists, that he's real, what do you do when you feel like you've done everything right or everything to the best of your ability and it just doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look? What do you do then? Because you go to church and you see everyone else seems to have their act together. They all seem happy and they seem like their kids never do anything wrong. And you go and you look or, or you feel like you come and you're single but you thought you'd be married. Uh, or you're, you're single and you were married and you thought you'd still be married. Or maybe you're married and you thought you'd have kids but you don't. Maybe you're married and you had kids and that's been harder than you anticipated. What do you do 
when you look at your relationships and they just don't look like they should? What do you do when you realize that all those riders at Disney are a bunch of liars and that it's not always happily ever after? What do you do then? That's what we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And I think that's going to be an important time together. This morning, we're going to look at marriage. And we're going to talk about one specific truth about marriage. And I know some of you aren't married in the room. And so you may be tempted to check out here, but here's what I would say. Even if you're not married right now, most everyone in the room is at least going to be married at some point, or you were married at some point, or you know people who are married, that this could help them follow God more closely. And so no matter what your status is this morning, I believe God has something for you. Here's the truth about marriage, and sometimes we don't like to talk about it, Uh, sometimes we don't really like to get into it, but marriage, marriage is this coming together of two people uh, in an intimate way that, that doesn't really happen anywhere else in our, in our world. It, it, it's a, it's a, normally in our world, one plus one equals two. They, there's, a, there's a partnership. But in marriage, one plus one, when we really come together, one plus one actually equals one. We become a real true unit. In fact, the Bible says it this way. It says it very early on in Genesis in the first couple of pages. Jesus says this. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, he says this as well. He says that when a man and a woman are married, the two become one flesh. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says it's a giant mystery, or that word could be translated secret. It's this giant mystery that you take two separate individuals, you put them together, they make a covenant before God, and the two actually become One. Now, here's what ends up happening somewhere along the line. Two people who each have their own personalities, their own goals, their own vision of what life is going to work out. One person has their own own thoughts, their own personality, their own dreams, their own vision, comes in with another person who has their own personality and their own thoughts and their own dreams and their own vision. And those two people with their own personalities and their own thoughts and their own dreams and their own visions come together and try to make one unit. It is inevitable that at some point along the line, there is going to be tension in that relationship. At some point along the line, there is going to be tension in a relationship where two people who have very specific ideas on who they're going to be and who they are and what they want to accomplish and what they want to get done come together and try to become one. There is eventually going to be tension in that relationship. There's this old story about a man uh, in his in his 70s whose wife had recently passed away. And he went through the wake, and he went through the funeral, and then he got to that point where he was cleaning out the house. And underneath the bed, on, the, on his wife's side of the bed, he pulled out an old shoebox, and he flipped open the shoebox, and he was shocked when on one side of the shoebox, he found two crocheted dolls, almost like his wife had, had just crocheted them a few weeks ago. And on the other side of the box, he found a stack of cash. In fact, it was, when he counted it, totaled five thousand dollars. And he went to his daughter and he brought the shoebox and he said to her, he said, do you know what this is? And his daughter opened it up and she said, dad, here's, here's what happened. When you and mom would have a fight or conflict, she, and she didn't know what to do and she didn't know what to say, she would go and she would crochet a doll. And the husband thought to himself, wow, 
in all these years of marriage, only twice did my wife have to crochet a doll because she didn't know what to do and didn't know what to say. And he said, well, what's the money? And his daughter said, every time she knitted a doll, she sold it for a dollar. (laughs) Anytime two people come together and they have their own vision and their own dreams and their own thoughts on what's going to happen, there is going to be tension. It's going to happen. And it's true. So here's what we're going to talk about here this morning. This is what we're going to talk about here this morning. What do we do with that? I mean, as, as good Christian people, I'll tell you what can happen in church world. We can just bury it down deep and pretend like it doesn't exist. We've done that in church for a long time, and that doesn't work. We can come into this room, and we can pretend like everything's perfect and that we don't have these issues as we walk through our week. I'm not a giant fan of that. I don't think that's how God wants us to deal with the tension. I think God wants us to learn to deal with the tension in a healthy way. In fact, I would say it this way. I think the tension that exists in marriage relationships, the tensions that exist in marriage relationships is there to get you and I to pay attention to something bigger than ourselves. I think the tension that exists in in your marriage and in my marriage, in our friends' marriages and our parents' marriage, the tension that exists there is to get us to pay attention to something bigger than ourselves. And in fact, I would say a healthy marriage is not necessarily determined by how much tension is in the marriage. Because we could actually, you know, like in the old TV shows, get separate beds or move into separate bedrooms and just be roommates and get rid of a lot of tension in marriage, can't we? But we wouldn't say that's healthy. So a healthy marriage isn't necessarily a lack of tension. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that a healthy marriage are two people who have learned to deal with the tension in a healthy way. And I think that tension is there to get you and I to pay attention to something greater than ourselves. But before we get to all of that, we have to first talk about where that tension comes from. Where does it come from? Why does that tension exist? Why is it that just sometimes trying to figure out where we're going to go eat on a Friday night causes so much dissension and tension? And that's the little things in life. Where does that tension come from? Well, I think we would get a really good answer in James chapter 4. And I know I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. I want you to stay there because that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. But before we get there, I want us to just talk about where does the tension come from? And then we'll talk about what do we do with it? And James, James, who was Jesus' brother, who wrote a book that's further on in in the New Testament, he said this. He said, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Yes, the questions we're asking. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Another way to say it, what causes the tension? Where does this come from? And this is what James says. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. That's what James says to you and me. And just leave that second verse up there for a moment. We, where, what does all this tension come from, James says? Where does the tension come from? He says this. You have in your heart certain wants and desires. You have a kingdom that you want to build. I have a kingdom that I want to build. And when someone else, and very specifically in this case this morning, when my spouse 
gets in the way of what I want and the kingdom I'm trying to build, tension results. James says it this way, you want things and you don't have them, so you murder. That I would put in the extreme category. But I would say I have observed couples and might have even been part of it myself sometimes where the, the look that was being given through our eyes in the middle of a conversation was somewhere along those lines. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And isn't that true? I want things done my way in a way that serves me best. I want to build my kingdom and my time. And when I don't get it my way, we can deal with this while we date, I think. We can let the other person win. We can go along to get along. And even while we're engaged and we're looking forward to the wedding ceremony, and I have the privilege of sitting down with many engaged couples as they prepare to be married, and everyone has that hopeful look in their eye that maybe their marriage will be the one that escapes tension, that they're going to be the one that love is enough, and that they're going to be the one that they're not going to have all the problems and all the challenges and all the tension that they observed in their parents or in other people that they knew that were close to them. And I get to be the one who encourages them along the way. Hey, your marriage is going to be great. Marriage comes with all sorts of blessings. It is a good and godly thing. But somewhere along the line, there's going to be tension. And it's okay that there's tension. Because the goal isn't just to get rid of all tension. The goal is to learn to deal with it in a healthy way. I can tell you I've learned this lesson the hard way many times. My wife could tell you many more times about that. Uh, you could talk to her afterwards. You'll be here all day. She can tell you all the ways that I've dealt with tension inappropriately. But let me tell you one. When we were, when we were first married, something came up that we didn't really know about each other when we were just dating or when we were engaged. And let me just ask you this question. How many of you are morning people? Who are the morning people? There you are. There you are. You make me sick. I just, I like, I, I like you as people, but I just don't understand. I just don't understand. How many of you are night people? How many of you, there you go. There you go. That's where I, I'm like most productive once the sun goes down. I don't know why. I don't know why. So something came up in our marriage, because I'll tell you, my wife, Lori, who is the best, and I appreciate this about her, is a morning person. That alarm goes off, and she is like spring-loaded. The alarm goes off, and it says, whew, right away. And we are into it, 100 miles an hour, all right? And I was totally unprepared for this when we got married. And so when I wake up, I'm more like a bear coming out of hibernation. I don't know what day it is. I'm not sure what time it is. I have to be reminded of what, of what needs to get done that day. And so when we first got married, Lori was ready to go, and she was talking and talking and sharing and talking, and I was just not receiving that well. And I'll tell you what I did. I tried to go along and get along. I tried to go along and get along. And rather than having a nice conversation about who I am and how I wake up and who she is and how she wakes up, I just let the tension build inside of me. She had no idea that all this tension was building up inside of her, inside of me. One day we were leaving our apartment, our little condo. She knows I'm going to tell this story. One day we were leaving our little condo, and this was a long, long time ago. It's unbelievable how it's changed. We were leaving our condo, and we were in the hallway of our apartment building. And, uh, and she was, she, I was walking ahead of her in the hallway, and she was sharing with me you know, the list of grocery items that need to be purchased or something like that uh, at the end of the day. And, and I was missing all of it because I still was trying to figure out what day it was. 
And I took my keys that I had in my hand, and I threw them down the hallway. And I turned, and I said, enough, enough. I can't have these conversations in the morning. Every morning, the alarm goes off, and it's Brian, 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 Brian. I can't do it anymore. And I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, you know, all our neighbors behind their doors, I'm sure they would hear all of this. Like, what sort of cycles have we moved in with? But there's these moments, isn't there, in marriage? And that's the easy stuff. Morning person, night person, that's the easy stuff. But what about finances and parenting and sex and in-laws and all those other big things? The tension that's created around those things can be difficult in marriage. If you're married for any length of time, and all of us have been married for longer than five minutes in the room this morning, we know this is true. Tension exists, and it comes because I'm building my kingdom You're building your kingdom. And when we get in each other's way, tension results. So what do we do? There's this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 6. And it's not a passage that you might correlate with relationships all that much. But it's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. In fact, we sang it earlier this morning. And this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, we are going to apply to our most important relationships over the next few weeks. And we're going to take a piece of this prayer and apply it to each relationship each week. And as I read through the prayer, maybe you'll think through, which part of the prayer are we going to apply to marriage this morning? This is what Jesus said. It's in verse 9 there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or some translations say, and I think this is a good translation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some of you hear that and you say, well, I mean, if it's my marriage, it's probably that last one, right? Deliver me from the evil one. That's not the one. That's not the one that we're talking about today. And that's not your spouse that Jesus is talking about in his prayer. But a lot, of these could, a lot of these could relate to marriage, about temptation, about forgiveness. But this morning, we're going to apply the first part of this prayer to our marriages. When I look at the beginning of this prayer and I see that it says, Our Father, it reminds me something about the person that I'm married to. It reminds me that before we're husband and wife, we are something else. We are both individuals created in the image of God, filled by his spirit, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, for a purpose that is larger than ourselves. And so we are not just individuals with our own hopes and our own desires and our own personalities and our own dreams. We are, before all of that, brothers and sisters or brother and sister in Christ who God has created and empowered to build his kingdom. And that both of us have a job that is much bigger than us as individuals. And so if our tension and fighting and quarreling is caused because I want to build my kingdom and my spouse wants to build their kingdom and they have their personality and I have my personality, whenever those two come into conflict, whenever what I want to do is intercepted by my partner and tension arises, I am forgetting that before husband and wife, we are created by the same father who has a much greater purpose for our life. 
And so we read this prayer and it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think as followers of Jesus, that tension that exists in our marriages, that tension that exists in our most important relationship is there to get us to pay attention to something much bigger than ourselves. When I am frustrated and when tension exists, most of the time it's because I want things my way. I want to be in charge. And something is coming up against that. But in these few words in this prayer, I am reminded that I'm not the one in charge. God's the one in charge. And we are not here together to build our own individual kingdoms. We're not here together to build our little kingdom. We are here to do something much more significant and much bigger than that. God has brought us together that we might be partners in building his kingdom, that we might not work towards our own individual goals, but to our corporate goal, together to build the kingdom of God, to do what it is that he has for us in our lives to do. And it's not just about getting rid of the tension. If in most counseling that we would go to, and I'm not saying that this is bad, I think it's extremely helpful. I'm saying if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not complete. In most counseling that we would go to when we're trying to go our separate ways and there's tension, the counselor would get, try to get us to come together and to come so, some sort of compromise or resolution or different, different life habits that would ease the tension. And I don't think that's bad. But what I'm saying to you this morning is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the turn is not complete. That's only part of the way. Only part of it is looking into the mirror and saying, well, what do I need to change? What needs to be changed in me? That's a good thing. But there's another turn that you need to make where you don't just say, what is it that I need to do to ease the tension? But where both of you turn and look to God and say, okay, God, what do you have for us to do as a couple? It kind of looks like this. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, all right? The room's going to go real uncomfortable and quiet, okay? I hardly ever do this. Is there a married couple here this morning that would be willing to come join me right here? I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I'm not going to ask you to say anything, but you are going to be our visual of what I just talked about. I will say someone did it in the first service, all right? And there were less people, so there's got to be someone here who's willing to do it. Joe and Eileen, Eileen does not look thrilled about this. Joe is on fire. Come on up. Come on up. Talk about tension. There is immediate tension in this relationship. Come on up, Joe and Eileen. Thank you for doing it. Would you welcome Joe and Eileen as they come? It's very nice. How you doing, Eileen? Yeah, that's a lie. You're not doing great. All right, here we go. This is what I mean. When we get married, when we come together, Joe, turn a little bit more like this. All right, Eileen, would you, there you go. Eileen knows where I'm going. That's you call up the corporate facilitator. She knows exactly what a good illustration looks like. When we get married, we come together, but we have our own personality. We have our own kingdom we're trying to build. We have our own dreams in life that we want to get done. And sometimes we walk together. Sometimes we face the same direction. We have the same idea about how we're going to raise our kids. We have the same idea about how we're going to handle our finances. But at some point, we're going to be shifted on how we're going to get something done. And when we look like that, tension is going to result. I think most of the time when we go through counseling or when we talk to somebody, this is what they try to do. They try to get us to face one another. There you go. It's been a while, huh? They, 
They try to get us to face one another, to shake hands and say, hey, this is how we're going to get this done. This is how we're going to deal with the tension together. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. There's a lot that's right with this, right? And so you come to some sort of compromise. Joe, Chick-fil-A no more than once a week, right? (laughs) And Eileen, you'll come to Joe's softball game and not read a book or something like that. Some sort of compromise, right? But what God says to you and to me is that as a couple, we would keep turning and that we would turn and we would face him. And then we would say, okay, God, what do you have for us together? Not just how can you help us ease the tension because I want to build my kingdom and she wants to build her kingdom or he wants to build his kingdom, but how can we turn? And when this tension arises, not just turn to one another and say, this is how we're going to work it out, but turn completely towards God and to say, okay, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Use us together to do what you want to do. Thank you, Joe and Eileen. Would you thank them? They head back. I'm going to invite our worship team uh, forward as we prepare to close this morning. And I'd like for you to think about this with me for just a moment. You know, Jesus, we celebrated the, his last supper with his disciples. We celebrated communion together earlier. And after that meal, those of you that are familiar with the story, Jesus ends up in a garden. And man, there's a lot of tension. Because God, Jesus knows what God's plan is. It involves the cross. It involves a lot of shame, a lot of pain. And if you remember that story, Jesus is hunched over and he is sweating and he is pleading with God. He says, God, if there is any other way to do this, any other way that this could happen, let's do it that way. But at the end of that moment, he says these words, and some of you know these. Not my will, but your will be done. And Some of us would do a lot of good to go back into our marriages and to say, okay, God, I realize that the reason tension exists is because I am trying to build my thing and my kingdom, and I might not be ready to admit it out loud right now, but I'll at least admit it to you. So in my marriage, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'd encourage you to make two lists, those of you who are married. Make two lists. On one list, I'd like you to write down. Maybe you'd do this this afternoon. Maybe you'd do it tomorrow morning. On one list, I'd like for you to write down all the ways that your partner, that your spouse, stops you from doing what you want to do. Make a list. All the ways your partner stops you from doing what you want to do. Some of you just completed that list in your head right now. That one comes pretty easy. But I want you to make a second list. And I want you to write down all the ways that God is using this relationship to create you and transform you into the person that he wants you to be and how he's using this relationship to keep your eyes on him. Two lists. One of the lists is going to say all the ways that your spouse stops you from doing what you want. And the second list is going to say all the ways that God is using your marriage to keep your eyes on him. And I want you to take one list and I want you to throw it in a drawer and look at it every few months. I want you to take the other list 
put it on your bathroom mirror and look at it every day. You get to choose. You choose which list you want to look at, but I guarantee you, the list you choose to look at will radically transform how your marriage operates, how healthy it is, and how your relationship with God operates, and how healthy that is. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for one moment? I know some of you are in the room this morning and you're saying to me, Pastor, you don't know how bad it is. We're not talking about just a little bit of tension here. We are talking about incredible tension and I don't know how this is going to work out in my marriage and in my life. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I would love to be married and have this tension. My greatest tension isn't that I'm married. My greatest tension is that I'm not married right now. It's the hardest thing for me to deal with in life. I want to pray for you this morning. And in every case, I want to encourage you. Don't let the tension make you more inward focused and more frustrated about how your kingdom isn't built. But let that tension drive you to God, drive you to Jesus Christ, drive you to the cross that you might say, okay, God, what is the work that you want to do in me? Because I can't figure it out. What is the work you want to do through me? How do you want to use me to build your kingdom and to make your name great? God, I pray for all of us in the room, those who are married and those who are not, and the tension that exists in our relationship. God, would that tension be something that drives us closer to you? And God, forgive us, forgive me for how intent I can be sometimes on creating my kingdom and my world and my stuff and my thing. God, turn me around by your spirit that I might be consumed with building your kingdom and having your will be done in my life. Pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning and let's close with this song together. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.